Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Honoring flawed people. We're going to Acts chapter 11. I'm covering really a very short section, but I'm going to take you, I'm going to show you that this passage connects directly to Galatians chapter 2. And I'll show you how that happens and we'll tell the whole story. And out of that story emerges something remarkable. And what emerges is that you're going to see a Gentile church, a huge growing church in Antioch, honoring the Jerusalem church, the Judean church, who are their source. The Judean church has not had a good attitude toward them, many of them. Some, of course, have. But many of them are skeptical of Gentiles becoming into the church. There's been some bad attitudes. There's been all of this kind of trouble. And yet the church in Antioch honors them. Do you know that it's easy to honor people when they're um, wonderfully healthy, wholesome, glorious people? They're, we all know people that we just respect. You have to respect. They're just great people, right? They're easy to honor. Honor really comes to play when I have to honor someone who's flawed. Someone who doesn't have their act together. Someone who's in a position that I should honor or a role in my life that I should honor, and yet they're not all together. They're not all healthy. Everything isn't right. And yet I still am called by God to honor them. We're going to watch our brothers and sisters do that, and we're going to apply it to ourselves. Father God, would you come? Open the word to us. Lord, we love it. There's, there's nothing more prophetic than when your word speaks to us clearly. We ask you to open our hearts to hear it. And receive it in Jesus' powerful name. May I speak only your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I will uh, remind you of what's happened and then I'll pick up at verse 27. We've just seen in the last few weeks, we've seen the, the church in uh, Caesarea with Cornelius. Remember this? Uh, the Holy Spirit fell on an entire household and it was a large room. I mean, the house was full of, of Romans. And Peter got there and preached and the Holy Spirit fell and baptized them in the Holy Spirit, just like on the day of Pentecost, all of these, all of these Romans. There was tension again in the Jerusalem church. They, uh, they, a regular argument, a regular fight ensued when Peter got back as they grilled him over, how dare you, how dare you uh, bring and baptize these, these, these Italians, for heaven's sakes, you know, these Romans and bringing them into the church. They're unclean. We saw the message that Peter uh, fought for, that no, no, when someone's filled with the Holy Spirit, they're a clean temple. Amen? If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're clean, or he wouldn't come. And so Peter stood on that. Well, we've seen that, that struggle. Now Luke picks up and he says, after the persecution that arose from Stephen when they stoned him, and, and, the, and, the, and the heart of the persecution, of course, was Saul of Tarsus, and we, we now know he's, he's on our side. 
so after that persecution, it said it's, it drove people out. And he says they went up to, uh, they went to Phoenicia, which is Lebanon. They went to the island of Cyprus. Uh, they fled to Antioch, 250 miles north, this, this great uh, city, third largest city in the Roman Empire. It's, it was four miles from, from gate to gate, huge city, with an ancient, uh, from the very foundations of that city, uh, a, a Jewish population. Alexander the Great's general founded it in 300 AD, and he wanted Jews. He invited them, said, come. So when he formed his city, he built a Jewish community right into the very beginnings of that city of Antioch. So there's an ancient Jewish community there. So the, the, these, these believers fled north. They fled up into these areas. But Luke says, but wherever they went, they only preached to Jews. We've got a problem here. We just have a problem. You know, it's, it, we are culture bound. Uh, we have this issue of clean and unclean. It's just not out of our head. The ceremonial laws are just not out of our head. We, we just don't really comprehend that the righteousness of God is given to a man or woman by faith alone. That's, that's what's still being fought for and trying to be comprehended. And at this point where we pick up, we're about 15 years down the line. This, this is 15 years after Pentecost. It's not a couple of days, not a few months. It, ha, it just hasn't clicked. It just hasn't clicked. They're still only preaching to Jews. And then it said some renegades from Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyrene's northern Africa. That coast right along Libya. Said from Cyprus and Cyrene, those guys broke the rules. And they went outside this thing in, in, in Antioch. This is where they did it. They came to Antioch and they started preaching not only to Jews, but also to the Gentiles. How did it work? Woo. It hit like wildfire. Gentiles heard this gospel and they, began, they believed, they repented. And then Luke says, and the mighty hand of God was with a meaning. There was miracles. There was deliverances. There was people getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. I mean, stuff's happening. This is a full-on move of God, and, it's, and it grew huge very rapidly. This is the beginning of the, of the Gentile church. And then he picks up, and he'll say this, verse 27. Now, at this time... Uh, I guess I should have told you that, that, that uh, Barnabas was sent north to investigate this. The Jerusalem church wasn't pleased. And they want to know what's going on up there. Go up and check it out. And they figure they'll send a Levite. He'll, if anybody knows clean and unclean, he does. And so they send a Levite, and he's also from Cyprus. So he'll know a bunch of these troublemakers. May know them personally, or at least he knows their families. So he's up there to investigate. Well, Barnabas is just no, no help at all. He is such a lovely man. He just gets there and goes, this is beautiful, man. Go, you, you keep going for it. He encourages them. Think of that. He encourages all of this. And then the thing is growing so large, he realizes we don't have enough teachers. We have got to have more teachers. I cannot teach. Probably his voice wouldn't carry. We probably have a situation where virtually they can't hear. And so he says, who do I know? And he remembers Saul. He, rem he was the one, remember, when Saul came to Jerusalem the first time? It was Barnabas who listened to him and then went in, and Barnabas personally presented to the apostles Saul's story. He told, Saul didn't tell it. Barnabas told it. And he said, here's what happened to this man on the road to Damascus. So he knew his call. Saul's been up there 11 years in Tarsus 
on in in uh, ice, what do you call it? Isolation. <laughs> yeah, they they got him out of town uh, because he needed to grow some. But it says that Barnabas went up and looked for him, and and with the intent until he found him, and he found him and he brought him back. And then it says that the the uh, church there in in Antioch took them in and gave them room and board. And you won't see that in your translation, but the word is there. They just didn't have the guts to translate it that way. But I think that's what it. I mean, that's what it means elsewhere, and I think it's what it means there. The church took those two men in, Barnabas and Saul, gave them room and board, and said, you just preach all the time. You just preach. We'll, we'll cover, your, you'll cover your expenses. You preach. And so those two men preached their heart out, and this revival took place, and then this happened. Now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius, that'd be the, the Roman Emperor Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. I want you to know, notice something. Agabus comes there and he stands up and it doesn't just say he prophesied, he signaled it. You know, remember, he's the guy that took Saul's belt and wrapped it around his arms and said, the man who wears this belt is going to be bound. He does that later on. This guy's into symbolism. So whatever it was, Agabus symbolized as well as declared that there would be a great famine. And it says over all the inhabited earth. How many know that includes Antioch? So he just told them, you're all going to be starving. And that, by the way, by the way uh, Claudius reigned from 41 to 54 AD. AD 41 to 54. And the famine did come. The historians note it. It came in the, in the uh, what was it, the 5th? Sixth and seventh year of Claudius's reign, three years long. And so that famine arrived in 45 AD. By the way, it dates everything. We know where we are right now. We know where we are as we go through the book of Acts, what the years are. By the way, you take, you take, about, you take 46 and then you take, Paul will say in, in, in Galatians, I'll show it to you in a minute, 14, he says, after 14 years of being a Christian, you subtract that, it goes right back to 32, 33 AD, right when he was converted. We're right on track. So, so here we are, and this, this famine comes. But, it, but the Lord said, I'm going to bring a famine on the whole, whole earth. So what would Americans do? What would you do? What would we all tend to do if we heard that there was a famine? We'd go to the grocery store, and we'd buy all the Campbell's soup on the shelf. <laughs> right? That's what you do. You, you, go get, you buy all, all, the, all the soup and all the flour. and all the, you, you go rush to the store and fill your shopping cart and just stack your pantries. What did they do? They took an offering for the, for, the, for the poor in Judea because they knew they'd really be in trouble. But the, but the people in Judea aren't all that pleased that they're there. Do you see this? There's an awkward situation going on. And yet these men and women honored people who didn't have a good heart toward them. I want you to see that. All right. Honoring people. Honoring people who deserve honor is easy. 
Most of us know people we deeply respect and showing honor to them flows effortlessly from our hearts. The real challenge comes when we're asked to honor flawed people. People who don't live up to our expectations. People who, who fail to do what they should have done. We ask ourselves, how can I respect someone who hasn't earned my respect? How can I love someone who doesn't love me? How can I admire someone who looks down on me? How can I joyfully give to someone who only takes from me? Indignation rises up inside us. We rebel at the mere suggestion that we should honor such people. Yet God loves it when we give honor, especially when we honor those who from our human perspective no longer deserve it. In this brief passage, we observe a remarkable example of honor. A group of Gentile believers is taking up an offering for their poor brothers and sisters in Judea. Yet some of those who were going to receive this gift hadn't rejoiced at the news that Gentiles were being saved in Antioch. They were troubled by the thought that people who didn't observe the law of Moses were being welcomed into the church. The new believers in Antioch may not have been aware that these cultural barriers existed. I think they probably were, but they may not have been. But Barnabas and Saul certainly were. Yet they said nothing to discourage this generous act of love and happily carried their offering to the elders in Jerusalem. In spite of the presence of some very wrong attitudes, these men and women still deserved to be honored. And on behalf of this growing Gentile church, Barnabas and Saul gladly gave such honor to them. So they left a profound example for us to follow. We too are to give honor to whom honor is due, even when it appears they don't deserve it. Would you flip over now to Galatians chapter 2? People are, are often confused about where this passage belongs and where the 14 years are. You're, you're finally going to know. I mean, it, actually, there's no question about it. This is, this is referring, Paul, is not, Paul has in chapter 1 there, he's started out and he's telling his story. He tells how, how he had, had uh, come to Christ. And then he says, after three years, he, he said, I came to Jerusalem. And, and uh, he was in Arabia. Remember all of that? We've seen all of that. Then he says here in chapter 2, verse 1, after an interval of 14 years, that'll be, that will be 14 years since he's been a Christian, since he met Christ. That's what he's dating from. I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along. And it was because of a revelation. Now, what revelation do you think he's referring to? Agabus, yes. No, no, he's, he's going up. He's, he says there was a prophecy. There was a prophecy that, that, that the, a famine would come on the whole earth. So I went up with this offering because of that. I went up because of a revelation, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I ha might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. I'll explain this in a minute. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. 
But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of, it, mine keeps translating it, high reputation. The word he uses means those who seem to be something. And he'll, later on he'll tell us those who appeared to be or, or are thought to be pillars of the church. That's the phrase he's actually referring to. So those who are thought to be of, of high position. And he's referring to, to James and Peter and John and whatever el, other uh, elders were of prominence there in Jerusalem. Those who were of, rep, of reputation contributed nothing to me, he says. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, I to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews. For he who effectively worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectively worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James, now this is James the Lord's brother. This is not James and John. This is not the apostle James. This is James the Lord's brother who appears at this point to have become the leader in the minds of those who are legalistic Christians. I don't know that he was. I'm not accusing him of that. I like his letter. But, I'm, but I will tell you, he's their guy. And it appears that after Caesarea, Peter lost some, some, some credibility in the eyes of some of these uh, because he was clearly, uh, had, had gone over to the other side. Uh, Peter was now for Gentiles being, being Christians. And there are people who are just really troubled with this. They feel, no, no, you have to come in and be a Jew. You have to be circumcised. We cannot fellowship with you. We cannot touch you. Uh, you're unclean. We cannot go there. And they've still got these cleanliness laws. They're just driving them uh, nuts. And so James has become their leader. You'll actually, you actually wonder why it was they sent uh, Barnabas up to check out Antioch, not Peter. I, I think Peter's... I think Peter's just in a little bit of political trouble. I love Peter. I hope I love James. But he says, James and Cephas, that's of course Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, uh, pillars of the church, that phrase, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Indeed, these Antioch believers followed through on their commitment. A gift was sent to the elders in Jerusalem by means of Barnabas and Saul. Paul, you, you know his name changes later. So I, I go, I'm, I'm using his name Saul until we get to the place where his name changes. You'll see that in a couple of chapters. Paul describes this visit in his letter to Gal the Galatians. He says the trip took place 14 years after he met Christ. He and Barnabas had been asked to carry this gift to Jerusalem. And while they were there, he seized the opportunity to present the gospel as he preached it to James, the Lord's brother, Peter, and John, inviting them to point out if he had erred in any way. He and Barnabas had brought with them a young Greek believer named Titus. And his very presence in the room served as a test case. Do you see this? Okay, so they show up and they walk into this gathering of the church with, with Peter and James and John and whomever else. And in comes this Greek with them. 
It's a problem. Are people going to go, or are they going to let Titus stay? This is a test case. And he, good old Paul, he, <laughs> come on, Titus, smile. I said, smile, just, just walk beside me. We're fine. I mean, it's this kind of thing. He's testing this group. You're going to throw him out? The, guy, the guy's baptized in the Holy Ghost. He prophesies. He prays for the sick. He's, he's got more of the spirit than you do. You're going to throw him out? Come on, you're going to throw him out? Is he welcome here? He's going to come sit right beside you. He's going to touch you. When it's time for the holy kiss, he'll kiss you on the cheek. Oh, and let that happen. That's what he's doing. That's what's going on here. That's what this is about. Isn't that fun? I don't know. They thought so. All right. So they bring, so they bring Titus along with him. And would these Jerusalem leaders require him to be circumcised before they welcomed him into their fellowship? They didn't require it. And Titus was welcomed in and just as he was. In this way, the righteousness, the righteousness, right, pardon me, righteousness comes through faith in Christ alone was endorsed. You see that? This was huge. Is he welcome as he is? Because all he brings is faith in Christ. And they Yes, he is. Then these pillars of the church, James, Peter, and John, gave them the right hand of fellowship. They, they formally shook their hands, probably in front of everybody, meaning they acknowledged that what was happening in Antioch was a valid ministry of God. And finally, they encouraged Barnabas and Saul to keep preaching to the Gentiles, but saying they would continue preaching only to Jews. So you go do that. You're fine. You're fine. We'll stay with the Jews. They, they still aren't breaking free, though Peter is. Peter's free, and he will very shortly come on up to Antioch. And uh, that's uh, on there in Galatians. In the midst of this account, Paul mentions that false brethren, he uses the word pseudodelphus, I mean, false brethren, slipped into these meetings. He says they pretended to be friendly, but really came as spies. They were there to examine his gospel, hoping to find a way to discredit him so they could demand that the converts in Antioch observe the ceremonial laws of Moses. Notice I keep saying ceremonial laws. Why do I say that? Because the moral laws don't change. Nobody's got the moral laws of Moses up for debate. You still can't kill people, lie, etc., those moral laws are, will be in, in, in place a billion years from now. We're talking about the ceremonial part of the law of Moses. Make that distinction. Paul said their real motive was to enslave us. Apparently, they tried pulling rank on him, push, positioning themselves as his elders. But he says, not for an hour did we yield in subjection to them. We can only imagine the intensity of that debate. When the dialogue was finished, Paul said the Jerusalem leaders had added nothing to me, meaning he gained no new truth from the conversation, nor could they find fault with anything he preached. But even after this 
difficult conversation, they still asked to him them to remember their poor. And Paul's amazing response was the very thing I was eager to do. After that intense exchange, after this, this whole tension in the room, would Titus even be welcomed into the room? They say, by the way, remember our poor. At some point when you say, you take care of your own poor. You don't want us, we don't want you. Wouldn't that be the human reaction? You don't welcome us, we don't welcome you. We'll be fine. We got, we got more people in Antioch already than you've got in the whole place around here. It'd be easy to have that kind of angry. You don't respect me, I don't respect you. You treat me that way? Paul says, no, we're eager to do that. He's looked right beyond the flaw. It says, you're our brothers and sisters. In fact, you're our source. And we honor you. If we choose to honor, we'll find ourselves at odds with our culture. We live in a society in which the idea of honoring people seems old-fashioned and strange. We might honor a fallen soldier, a firefighter, or a policeman. But the idea of honoring the elderly our parents, our spouse, teachers, hang on, political leaders, or even our pastors, is viewed with suspicion and ridiculed. The spirit of anarchy seems to be growing stronger, which says, just because you got here first or hold a position of authority, what gives you the right to tell me how to live? Don't try to lead me. Don't try to change me. Don't try to convert me. Leave me alone. Let's just live and let live. You do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. You see those black coats that, that bust our windows about each year in Seattle? That's their, that's their theology right there. That's anarchy. Just because you're older than I, just because you arrived earlier, what gives you the right to tell me what to do? Just because a bunch of you elected one of you to be my leader? That doesn't make you my leader. I haven't, I haven't given you leadership in my life. How dare you seize control over my life? You live yours, let me live mine. And that spirit's rising in our country. Isn't it? The result of this kind of attitude is isolation, independence, and an angry type of equality. What I mean by that is anytime anyone starts rising up, you, you just cut them down. You go after them. You find their flaws. You break them down. It's kind of political whack-a-mole. Anybody pops up, you pop them down. Bang, 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 bang. That's what it's like to be a leader in America. Whack-a-mole. Nobody wants to lead anymore. We don't respect people. We don't cooperate. We criticize our leaders freely. Do we not? You know, you ask anyone, to, will you lead something? And they all go, hey, I love to help. I'll be there. I'll be a helper. But I don't want to lead. And this is, this is why. It's hard. In, in, our, in our culture, we do not honor our leaders. And I'm telling you, this is not true in other, everywhere. You go to some other cultures and the leaders are honored. I'm old enough to remember our culture when pastors were honored. 
I would go into a store, and if I wanted to buy something, they would often say, well, pastor, we just want to give you a, a discount on that. Just, just because I was a pastor, that you just did that. And I often have to say, no, 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 let me, I, I want to support you. I love your, church, your store. Please just let me pay the whole price. I'd have to argue over it just because I was a pastor. They call me reverend. You know, I hate being called reverend, but, but, but it you know, beats some things. I, I, but, but I appreciated the attitude. The culture basically honored the clergy. We, we were grateful for us. The, 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 the government had, had given you know, tax exemptions for the church and all. Why? The government said, you're, you're a great influence. We need your influence. We need what you do. We need people brought to Christ. You, you know, we're, we're a better society because you're here. And so there was an honoring that went on. Now we've spent these decades and decades of just breaking down every form. I remember when I was young, it started with, with stories about George Washington having wooden teeth. Things like that. No, they did. And, and they began to tell you all of the flaws in our leaders. Well, they were flawed men. You know, and he did this and he did this. And they tell you about that. You know, if you look at about anybody's life, you'll find flaws. I mean, even yours. And in some cases, you have things where they're out there literally looking through their garbage cans. Looking through the garbage in the middle of the night to try to find stuff to discredit people. So our political system now is we're going to find some junk on you and we're going to discredit you and break you down. So that by the time anybody reaches a leadership role, they're just toast, man. We know all their dirty laundry. And, and, and so you've got this thing. So who wants to lead? Who wants to be a leader in this culture? I mean, it's the pits. Do you know that pastors are leaving the pulpit in the United States at a rate of about 1,500 a month? Well, it's hard. It is hard being a, you know, so many, of, I mean, I'm not, I am not, you, you honor me wonderfully, most of you. I have to be honest, uh, but you do. And I'm not, this isn't a complaint at all, but I, just to say that I, 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 meet with, I meet with pastors every other month. I just have a, I have a group of, of them coming. Boy, there, there's some pretty beat up guys, pretty weary guys, who've, who've uh, and gals, may I add, who, who have had some ugly things happen, who've been treated certain ways, who've been prophesied at, you know, left and right the whole bit, and they just, after a while, they just think, I'm just not cut out for this. I, I just, no thanks. They love Jesus. They aren't leaving Jesus, but they just can't bear the weight of leadership because we've lost the grace that honors flawed people. That honors flawed people. Did you hear the word flawed? Not perfect people. Not men and women who have everything together. Men and women who are sincerely doing their best in their weakness. Or, in some cases, aren't doing their best, but still hold a position we should honor. God's eternal principle. Honor is an eternal principle. We will still honor people in heaven. Do you know that? When you get to heaven and you meet your grandmother, she's going to look as young as you. You're going to have to go, whoa, grandma. You know, you know the movie, what is that movie, with a baseball movie where they build a field in Iowa? Uh, field of Dreams. 
Remember, remember the fellow sees his dad and his dad is young again. He's, young, he's younger than he is actually practically. And, and here's his dad. And he's, he's meeting his dad and he's talking to his dad. His dad's the same age he is. Well, it's going to be like that. You're going to meet your dad. You're going to meet your mom if, if they're saved. And, and you're going to, your, your grandparents, you aren't going to go up and, and sort of say, you know, hey there. This is, it's still going to be, hello, sir. You're still going to call them grandpa and grandma. They still are. I've never met my grandmother. She died three years before I was born. My, uh, my maternal grandmother. And boy, I want to meet her. She, of, of all in the family, she was the adult. She was the one who loved the Lord the most. And she died, and I haven't met her yet. I'm looking for her. And I'm not coming up and just high-fiving the lady. You understand? This is my grandmother. And I will honor her. So will you with your own family and your loved ones. We'll be honoring in heaven. Honor does not imply inferiority. But it's a recognition of seniority. They got here first. And a submission to God's will because he put you in that position in my life. Behind all of this is the issue of our submission to God. If we won't submit to people we can see, we won't submit to the God we can't see. I mean, we may say it, but we won't do it. It's a, it's a whole attitude. It's a whole approach to life. We've learned that the spirit of rebellion takes very little to trigger. If you put any requirements down, if a person has a rebellious spirit, They'll chafe. They will look to break down that barrier no matter what it is. We have, for example, one of the examples is we are required, if you're going to go on a mission, you've got to go to four sessions of general mission training. And no matter what happens, if you miss one, you can't go. Well, you just, some people just, it's like, give them a rule, they're going to test it. And they got to come up with every reason, and then they're outraged. They've been asked, they have to wait till the next thing and finish that class. What's the deal? And you watch. Honestly, just I'll tell you a secret. We watch for that kind of rebellion. Because you're a lot of fun to have on a mission. (laughs) We've had people just about kill us on missions. I'm not kidding. Because they can't follow the rules. Because there's no honor, there's no respect, there's no ability to bow the knee and submit. Honoring someone with words alone means next to nothing. It's what we do that truly matters. Do I still honor God? And and this applies to God as well, may I add. We can sit here and say how great he is today all we want. But if our lives don't honor him, if we don't live out that honor, it means nothing. Do I still honor God when he disappoints me, just like people? Do I honor him when he makes me angry, when he seems out of step with the culture? Doesn't God seem like an old fogey at times, huh? What's he thinking? When he makes me unpopular, when he tells me to do something that doesn't make sense. In these difficult moments, will I still respect his opinion, let him lead, depend on his strength, Put him first, hallow his name, and seek his kingdom. 
why I need to honor others. Actually, I need to honor others much more than they need to be honored by me. It's one of the main ways God refines the wrong attitudes in my heart. By commanding me to honor others, especially those I don't want to honor, he restrains my pride. Say, restrains my pride. I desperately need to submit to those in authority over me. It helps to keep my pride in check. Look, yours too. God has instituted things that refine us. Tithing, for example. Talk all you want, but tithing goes right after greed and, f- and the fear of poverty. It just goes right at the heart of it, and you learn faith by doing it. Well, honoring is just like that. It, it deals with the human pride that naturally rises up in all of us. When I was uh, a young man, I, when I, came to, I came to the Lord when I was 12 years old, and then the Lord began to guide my life. That's when it really began to uh, shift into gear. And one of the things he did is take this boy who has been raised by a single mom. My parents separated when I was uh, two years of age. And to take this boy who had, had, had not... Uh, really learned to submit. I mean, my mother led, but it was by, you know, sheer force of will. And she won the fight fair enough, you know, and, and we'd do what she said. But I didn't know how to follow or submit, you know. I, I didn't even think it was healthy. You know, I, 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 I didn't think you should trust anybody. That, uh, and particularly men. Men weren't trustworthy. And, and, and so you needed to keep your d- distance and, you know, just, you know, maybe be polite if you need to. Uh, but you sure don't... <laughs> Submit to him. So what did God do? He, he puts me in a, in, a, in a boys' school. And this is the, on the British kind of system. And so I remember vividly the first time I had to say to someone, yes, sir. Getting sir out of my lips <laughs> was all I could do. I almost fainted. Yes, sir. I must have sounded like a snake. You know, Sir. I mean, I just coughed it out. It hurt. Scared me to say it. Sir. To call a man. Sir. It hurt. And, and, I, and in those course of those years, I had to call them all sir. And I had to call ma'am. And I had to stand until they were seated at the table. Hold a chair for the teacher's wife. And yes, sir, no, ma'am. Or else. And there was an else. <laughs> Those days they gave swats. We survived. I'll never forget that. <laughs> made, I'm going to tell you it was exquisite pain. It made my scalp tingle. It really, it was quite the experience. You didn't want to do it twice. But... Imagine that. They're forcing me to say, sir, and be respectful or else. What would he do? What, what's, what's God doing? Why would he do that to me? He's teaching me to bow the knee. Let me tell you something. Never follow anybody that isn't following somebody else. Did you hear that? Never follow anybody that isn't following somebody else. They are dangerous. Submission is a key issue in the kingdom of God. 
by honoring, making me honor, he teaches me to cooperate. He wants me to learn to be only a small part of something bigger than myself. You know, I got to confess to you, when I was young, I mean, well, I keep saying that because I'm not now. It's a whole lot of my life that I can reflect on that way. But when I graduated from seminary, I decided that I, I didn't know any denomination that fit me. And so I was going to start my own. <laughs> How's that for humility? I think we would have been called Shelzianites. <laughs> I, I'm not making this up. I actually was forming a board, and I was uh, uh, filing a 501c3. I don't know what I was, I don't know what I was going to call it, but the, God help us all. And I was, I was in the process of going independent. I figured, there's nobody. I don't, know, I don't know who to follow. You know, none of these people have a right. And uh, so I was going to start my own. And there's a man in my life, and I've mentioned him before. He was a Methodist minister from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and a spirit-filled Methodist minister, one of the great men of God I've ever known. But he, he played kind of a role in my life on a number of occasions, and he heard about this, <laughs> and he gave me a phone call. And he said, Steve, I hear you're going to start a denomination. I said, yes, sir. And, and uh, he said, well, I'm going to come out and see you. And so he got on an airplane and flew all the way from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, to, uh, to where we were in, pa in uh, pa Pasadena area. And um, he, he, said, he got there and he said, now I'm going to take you someplace. I, meet, I want you to meet somebody. And he had called ahead and made arrangements with a denomination called the Vineyard. And he'd call, he, knew, he knew them all. They all knew him and loved him. And, and uh, he'd talked to the president and said, I got a young man I want to introduce to you. So he put me in a car. I hardly knew where we were headed, you know. And he just says, come on. And, and he picked me up, and we drove to the, to the headquarters of Vineyard Ministries International. And, and when I, we got there, well, they all knew him. And, you know, I got ushered right behind him into the president's office. And introduced, and, and this is a young man I know and love. And, you know, I was, but he, he said to me, you are not going independent. It isn't good for you. You are not going independent. You pick a denomination, but you will not go independent. Okay, so I went Foursquare. Uh, by the way, I love the vineyard. But that's where the Lord led me. What was he doing? What was he doing to me? He was teaching me to be part of something bigger than myself. He was teaching me to be a small cog in a big machine, to not be the big guy all the time. There's something in the, in the human personality that wants to be the top, wants to lead, wants to be, wants the honor. He was making me bow my knee. And it teaches me patience. He wants me to learn to wait until he speaks to someone else. Isn't that terrible? I know what you should do. And I have to wait till you get it. That, is, that brings a deep level of patience in me. I won't go on on that one. In my experience, and after watching God work with many people, I have come to believe these truths. Submission precedes promotion. Would you say that? Say it again. It's good. Submission precedes promotion. Did you follow that? If you want to rise in God's kingdom, you'll bow your knee. You'll learn to submit. This is one of the things that keeps more people back 
from success than anything around I see. The inability to submit, the inability to cooperate, the inability to, to, to take instruction and follow lead. Chafing and constantly finding fault with something. Constantly uh, complaining. It's a killer. It is an absolute killer. But there's something in our heart that feels, if I submit, I die. No, you don't. If you submit, the self dies. Not you. Not you. And it actually is the step into success. For many of us, God is waiting for us to bow our knee, to submit, to be humble. And then he'll lift us up and not till then. And you can try out waiting this God of ours. I've tried. He is extremely patient. <laughs> Look at this next one. They're just really good. Contentment precedes abundance. Would you say that? Yeah. When you learn to be content where you are, in the situation where you are, in the circumstances when you are, when you find peace and fulfillment in the presence of the Lord and in the good things he's given you now, you'll get more. But if he gives you more without contentment, you won't be content with more. Because contentment isn't about stuff. Contentment's an issue in the heart. And humility precedes power. Say that. At least that's the way it works in God's kingdom. People who are promoted without submission become tyrants. People who gain abundance without contentment are still not content. And those who gain power without humility are enslaved by it. Something has to bow its knee before God can open the door to greater influence. Listen to Peter. Would you read this out loud with me? You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That'll be true a billion years from now, people. That's the way God thinks. I think honor requires at least three elements. Submission. In some way, I must bow my knee. Love. I may not be able to trust you, but I can choose to love you. And faith, I believe God placed you in my life, even though you're imperfect. Maybe seriously flawed. You're still a gift to me. Whom should I honor? My parents. Read, read this, would you? Honor your father and mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Notice the blessing. This is a, and Paul will pick it up in Ephesians and say, this, this commandment is the first one with a promise attached to it. Meaning, if I will honor my father and mother, I will, when it says live long in the land, you will stay in the place of promise and blessing and not have enemies come in and attack you. I would read that and I, say, I would say to the Lord, Lord, I have honored my mother. I didn't know my father. I didn't even know if he was alive. My thought was, he doesn't want me. I figure he could find me. If he doesn't want me, I don't want him. He can handle his own life. So I honored my mom. But it wouldn't go away. And I didn't know, I, I didn't know my father like 45, 50 years. I mean, it was a long time. I didn't know if he was alive. I thought he was dead. 
or that he'd married someone else and didn't tell her, tell her that he had a child by another marriage. I didn't know what it was, but I, sure, but I had no trace that he existed. When it came time for my oldest daughter to be married, she wanted her grandfather there if he was alive. I said, why on earth? What is the matter with you, woman? <laughs> and, and she was persistent. So I, I went before the Lord and I said, Lord, should I do this? I mean, I didn't even know where to find him. Though a friend of mine, having mentioned this to him, looked it up on the internet and said, well, here's an address that might be it. Thank you very much. And, and she said, uh, my daughter said, Daddy, can I call? And I said, why would you want to do that? You know, um, I don't, and I'm just dying inside. I mean, you have no idea the feelings. Oh, numb. I mean, I just, it's just dead. I mean, this is really uh, strange feelings. And uh, the, I spoke to the Lord and I said, Lord, I've honored my mother. And he said, how can you honor? I said, father and mother. And he said, how can you honor your father? If you've not even tried to introduce him to me. He had me on that. I, in other words, you're willing to let him go to hell, are you? All right. I didn't call. My daughter did. And it was his address. And we, and all of that. When I found my father, it wasn't the daddy that I had always wanted, for, you know, that kind of thing. He was a flawed man. Now, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't a horrible man. I don't mean that. But it, it, it was not a two-way street. It was not a warm, you know, it, 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 it wasn't a way. I don't know how to say it. Let me just say it was not easy. But I had a chance, and I did lead him to the Lord. And he died. God wanted me. It didn't matter what he did. That man gave me life. Do you understand that if your parents did not marry those two particular people, you would never exist? There is not a holding tank in heaven of babies where God sends them down the pipe, you know, when you get married. There's not a stork. You are conceived miraculously. I mean, it's a talk about winning the lotto. You are miraculously conceived, and were it not for that, you would never exist. Now, my father, I, can, I, I, I did learn, invested on a couple of occasions into my welfare in a, in a way that I'm very grateful for in my early, my early birth years. But he gave me life. And in the course of this life, I've met Jesus Christ. And so I have eternal life. I have in front of me a bliss and a glory that is beyond my comprehension. And it would not, I would not be here. I could not have that were it not for the gift of that man. And I was to honor him. Even though he was a, a flawed man, I was to honor him as my father. My elders... Look, listen to Paul. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father and to older women as mothers. You do not get sassy. You do not tell off an older person ever. 
ever. You speak to them as a father. You speak to older women as a mother. With respect and honor. They're your elder. My teachers. My spiritual leaders. Hold on, hold on. My political leaders. Every person, Paul says, is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. He's not saying that God put every person in that particular place. However, God created human authority and commanded it it be. We need it. And we are to respect those who hold those positions as servants of God. We all know they're flawed, don't we? But Paul says, let entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgivings be given for kings and all who are in authority. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to pray for them. And yet, what is the trend in the the church today? Listen to conservative talk radio or whatever talk radio you used to do and complain and criticize and hate in your heart. It's, It's become virulent. It's a disease in us. Look, I have my politics. But that's not the point. The point is, do you, let me just ask, because I do, so I can say this with a good conscience. Do you pray for our president, our vice president, our Congress, our Supreme Court, our governor, our legislature, our Supreme Court in this state, our mayor, your mayor, our city council, the fire department, the police department, the school superintendents and leaders, our pastors? He says, pray for them. That's honor. Pray for them. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. We're to honor one another. We're to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And you wonder, how did he put this here? We're to honor Israel. Jesus says to, a, to the woman at the well, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from what? That's why Paul and Barnabas were glad to bring that offering from the Gentile believers in Antioch to Jerusalem. That's why. Even if they group here, some of them, not all of them did, but even if, if many of them had a bad attitude. They're the ones. Israel, for thousands of years, has faithfully communicated the word of God so that you have it. Has faithfully. There's always been a core of people. Yeah, there's bad people. There are in the church. But there was always good people. There was always people of faith. There was always people who repented. There were people who gave their lives so that you would have a Messiah. You understand? Salvation is from the Jews. And so Antioch, When the famine would come, took up an offering for them to honor their source. How well are we honoring our father and mother, the elderly, teachers, spiritual leaders, governmental leaders, one another? Do we pray for Israel? Paul says, if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. In other words, if I judge it, God won't. I love that phrase. If I'll judge it, 
God won't touch it. I mean, in discipline or anything else. If I understand it, if I've already got the lesson, then the, lessons, the whole lesson's over. Have I dishonored, neglected, criticized, withdrawn my presence from? Let that one sit a minute. Withdrawn my presence from flawed, imperfect human beings who still deserve my honor. The word of God is touching a particular aspect in our lives. Talking about honor. Is there anyone that you need to just say, Lord God, I have, I have not honored as I should honor. But I choose today to do so. Show me what to do. How, my, how can I honor this man, this woman? How can I change the way I'm treating this leader, this person? Let's let him do a work in us. Let's let him touch that nerve of honoring today. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.